Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Thursday afternoon to you. I hope you're having a great day. Thanks for joining us on Sports for CLE a little later in the show. Spencer Schultz from the Baltimore Beatdown podcast will join us. We'll talk a little bit about Lamar Jackson contract extension, where that stands, as well as the Browns-Ravens rivalry. But we begin by talking Browns and NFL football with John Fanta. John, um, earlier today it kind of broke um, the NFL is, again, making it very clear. They're not going to mandate that you have to get vaccinated, uh, but you are going to have huge benefits, competitive benefits, um, the more players that you have vaccinated. Today's message was during the 18-game season, regular season, the 18 weeks of regular season, if a game cannot be made up as the result of non-vaccinated players testing positive, Whichever team has the outbreak of COVID, if it can't be made up, it will go down as a forfeit this year. Also, vaccinated players need two negative tests within a 24-hour period to be ramped back in. Non-vaccinated players, 10 days. So the NFL isn't saying you have to go and get vaccinated. They are saying we are going to make sure that players that are vaccinated have some benefits. The National Football League is following the science and they have from the start of this. And this news comes as no surprise, no surprise at all. And so I think that what the NFL is doing is strongly encouraging its players to get the vaccine. At the end of the day, the National Football League is a multi-billion dollar business. And when you had the amount of postponements, the attendance restrictions, everything that that entailed last season, you can't have another season like that. Some businesses could survive a year. The, the big ones could survive under the strange circumstances for a year. To go beyond that is a different story. And so I totally get what the NFL is saying today and, and putting it out there that it would result in a forfeit if you have uh, unvaccinated individuals testing positive for COVID-19. And I think when you look at the television dollars, when you look at butts and seats as well, this is a no-brainer for the NFL to put out there. I think we all saw some sort of variation of this coming, this news coming. So uh, I, I understand where the NFL is coming from. We are all uh, encouraged to go out and get the vaccine. The National Football League is an important voice, not only in sport, but in society. And I think that like the NFL, we've seen other entities, other major businesses have these types of protocols, just not always with a game on the line. And the NFL is just following suit with that. They followed the science last year. They also, it bears noting, and Cleveland fans had to understand this the hard way. The NFL pushed through 
in certain times and periods of their season last year. They had the Browns play the New York Jets late in the season when there was a good argument to say maybe this game should not get played. The game got played. The NFL was telling us at the end of last year that they were going to forge on. They did. They had a successful season in a pandemic. They're going to try to go into this year, and they want to make it as normal as possible as the return to normal is happening. And in their minds, without saying it directly because they can't mandate it, they're saying you should get the vaccine. And there's a reason why Baker Mayfield said earlier this week that the vaccinated teams have an advantage. Yeah, without question. And again, um, it's not somebody's right to play in the NFL. It's privileged to play in the NFL, so the NFL has the right to make the rules. Let's just keep that in mind. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, enough of, uh, of that. Um, so question was put before um, ESPN and, and uh, Tim, Tim Hasselback on uh, Get Up, ESPN's Get Up. Which of the, the franchises that have not won the Super Bowl does he think will end the Super Bowl drought. Here's Tim Hasselbeck, ESPN, get up. Okay, I don't have to prove this case, but I'm going to say the Cleveland Browns. I know i got a little bit of work to do here to, to, to plead my case here. You know, the reason I say it is this. They've done a tremendous job with the talent on their football team, and I get it. It has been a disaster for a really long time. But through some of those bruises and scars, I think they've improved, and I really believe in the coaching staff that they have assembled in Cleveland. I think that the job Kevin Stefanski did in year one, considering what that offseason was, was remarkable. And if they can get everybody to play around the quarterback at a high level, I think the quarterback's good enough to get it done. So I'm going with Cleveland. To quote my friend Jalen Rose, say it with your chest. We created this topic on radio yesterday. That's my pick. I agree with you on the Browns. And there you have it. Uh, those are national guys. Uh, they think the Browns roster is there. I can't argue with uh, that thought, John. You can't argue with it at all. And I think the thing that stands out the most there is Tim Hasselbeck believes in Baker Mayfield. We have seen other national analysts say the Browns have every piece and part available, and they might be able to make it to the AFC championship regardless of what their quarterback does. But the fact is, Baker Mayfield is going to be the key for the Browns and just how far they go. He's going to have to make that big-time drive happen late in the game. He has plenty of help. The Cleveland Browns have built this roster up as well as any team in the National Football League throughout the offseason, throughout the periods before that. And you have to credit this front office and what they've done. Now, when you have as many new defensive parts as Cleveland has, the question is, how do all those parts come together to form a unit that vastly improves from last year? That is the question that has to be answered. There is no doubt in my mind, provided they stay healthy, that the Cleveland Browns offense should be a top five offense in the National Football League. Really, they should be. They have every weapon. They have the best offensive line. They have a quarterback who only continues to get better. So my biggest takeaway there is not that the Browns uh, can win a championship and end the drought. My takeaway is Tim Hasselbeck in the midst because Dave Bacon, you and I have had this discussion throughout the recent weeks where some national analysts have something to say about Baker Mayfield. Tim Hasselbeck made it clear. He believes in Baker Mayfield. And that's why Baker Mayfield is going to have a contract extension at some point coming his way because – 
He delivered this franchise a playoff win, something that they've been greatly searching for for many years. I think that he's going to build on that this upcoming year, and there is no question that when you look at the Browns on paper, when you look at John Johnson, Troy Hill, Anthony Walker, a seasoned veteran from Indianapolis, Jadavion Clowney, the Cleveland Browns have made acquisitions that say they are trying to win the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. And um, they're not going to come out and say that, but I agree that's what they're doing. Pro Football Focus ranked the running back groups, so the running back units. Uh, Browns number one, Colts number two, Saints number three, Vikings four, and Cowboys five. Uh, the one-two punch of uh, Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, and, and you got a couple of interesting pieces in addition to that, but the Browns' best running back unit in the NFL. I agree. Your thoughts on that, John? I do agree because Nick Chubb could be argued as the best running back in the game when he's at 100%. And when you consider the fact that Kareem Hunt is the other end of that elite tandem, Cleveland has the perfect mix. They've got sugar and spice in their backfield. That's how good Chubb and Hunt are, and they play off one another so well. I am fascinated in training camp to see what the Browns do here at this number three running back spot because Dearness Johnson has shown us capabilities. Demetric Feldman is someone who's getting a lot of buzz for his ability to catch the football. He set a UCLA record for receptions as a running back uh, in his time over in Westwood. So there's no question that the Browns running backs are one of the best groups in the league. To be ranked number one by PFF, it says a lot. It also says a lot about your number one ranked offensive line that PFF has already posted uh, weeks ago. Look, the other takeaway I have in these rankings is Indianapolis is going to be a really interesting team in the AFC. I think that they're going to win the AFC South, uh, a division that, let's face it, is a little bit softer. It just is. And I'm not buying... Tennessee based on some of the things that I've seen with their roster over the offseason. I think they're still a good football team, but I'm buying the Indianapolis Colts more. And I, I think that the Colts are going to be a formidable team this upcoming season. I'm really intrigued to see what happens with Carson Wentz, but that running back group, I mean, Jonathan Taylor showed us a lot. Uh, and Indy's, Indy's got some interesting position players, but there's no question. Cleveland should be a consensus top three to five team in this category. And it speaks volumes that PFF, uh, a source that relies on the metrics, ranks Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt right at the top. So dogpounddaily.com poses this question. If the Rams call about Kareem Hunt, should the Browns listen? Uh, my answer is no. Nah. And, and I'd put a little bit of a disclaimer uh, that I won't say in front of it. You know, hell no, I wouldn't listen. Hell no. <laughs> I agree with you. I'll put the disclaimer in there, too. Um, this is sports for Klee. We, we could say exactly. that. You know what? Uh, I, I'm, I'm in favor of that as well. I, I, I don't think that the Cleveland Browns should be trying to mess up a great thing. If it ain't broken, the NFL don't fix it. You don't know. You do not know what exactly you have beyond Nick Chubb. If you don't have Kareem Hunt, you know, with Kareem Hunt, you have a versatile back who, if Chubb were to go down hurt, you would have a fitting replacement. The Browns would have to get an, a 
really incredible haul if they're going to trade away Kareem Hunt, who they have signed on to that extension. They made a commitment to Kareem Hunt, and rightly so. I think Kareem Hunt is happy in Cleveland. I think the Browns are happy with Kareem Hunt. In the NFL, running back play is something that can come and go in 2021. You do not want to mess up a good thing. You've got a good thing going. You've got a championship team. I'm not saying that a Kareem Hunt trade ruins anything, but you have two terrific options. I call them sugar and spice because I mean it. They really play off one another well. I think both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt would tell you. They've even said it before. They elevate one another. Why mess up a room that is number one by pro football focus? If the Rams call, I'm sending it to voicemail. (laughs) John Fanton and I are going to step aside, take a quick timeout on the other side of the break. We'll take a look at uh, what some of the national people think will be the sequence of the Browns' contract extensions. Plus, second-year player that could break out top 15 uh, as far as all the NFL. Browns have one of those top 15. Tell you who that is on the other side of the break. Sports with CLE. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Continue talking Browns football with John Fanta. And, John, um, take a listen to this. Ian Rappaport uh, from NFL Now um, has this to say about Baker Mayfield and the contract extensions with the Browns. I think what the Cleveland Browns are doing, they really have three core players that are sort of up for contract extensions that I know they've had at least some level of discussions on. Uh, Baker Mayfield is one. The quarterback always takes the attention. Nick Chubb. The star running back is another, then Denzel Ward, their standout corner, is another. My read on the situation, and this really has been something, I would say it's been consistent since the season ended, it's a little more of a uh, wait-and-see approach on Baker Mayfield. Not that the Browns want to see what they have. I'm just saying there's some other quarterback contracts that will probably get done first. I wouldn't be surprised based on what I know if it's Baker Mayfield next offseason and the Browns kind of focus their contract talks on Chubb and on Ward this season. Just a little more manageable and, you know, having a little more information on the quarterback is never a bad thing. It's not like Baker is urgent and needs to deal right now either. That's probably how I see it playing out. So Baker being patient for his contract, probably a good thing and a positive read on the situation for the quarterback. And, John, I think the other thing that goes into that is if he has the type of year you and I think he's going to have, he's going to make himself some more money, and the Browns will gladly write that check. They gladly will write the check. And if you're Baker Mayfield, you are patient and taking the approach of, I'm going to prove it, I'm going to continue to prove it to you. The fact is, the Browns and Baker Mayfield could reach something before this 
upcoming season. And there's been rumors floated out there. There's been talks that a deal could have gotten done or would get done before the 2021 season kicks off. The Browns economically could end up benefiting from that. Now, he's the quarterback. It takes priority. And it's interesting to hear Ian Rappaport say that Cleveland may take a look at at the market uh, in terms of you might see some other deals get done. That might impact the way that the Browns go about the Baker Mayfield extension, which feels inevitable. Uh, But for both sides here heading into this season, if you're Baker Mayfield, you're only going to probably increase your value. We all see this. Everybody's at a consensus. The Cleveland Browns are going to be a pretty, pretty good football team this upcoming year. Uh, If Baker Mayfield is hurting his value at all, it would really surprise me when you consider the fact that now he's got a familiarity with Kevin Stabansky and he has every weapon around him. So the wait and see game for Baker Mayfield, you're only going to be able to leverage it for more dollars. So I could see the patient's approach and why it can pay off. Yeah, without question. All right, we're going to change the topic slightly. ESPN uh, comes up with second-year breakout candidates in the NFL. There's 15 of them in the entire league. Number one, Joe Burrow, quarterback for the Bengals. Number two, Jerry Judy, really good wide receiver for the Broncos. Number three, Ezra Cleveland from the Minnesota Vikings. Number seven on the list, this is my Browns second-year breakout player, Jedrick Wills, left tackle. I like that choice, and I think for Jedrick Wills, taking over at left tackle and being able to to pass block and do the things that entail. Remember, Jedrick Wills had to transition that left tackle spot. There were a lot of high expectations. He had to manage through those, and Jedrick Wills managed them in a solid way. But when you look at some of the metrics and, and who he can be and the ceiling for him, there's no question that Jedrick Wills, the plan is for him to be the left tackle for the Cleveland Browns for the next decade. And he showed us as a rookie that, that he can be that guy, but I think you're only going to see him become a better pass blocker on the left side and continue to be a, a very strong run blocker. So he is a fitting second-year breakout player. The other guy that I would have on there is Donovan Peoples-Jones. Maybe he's not in the top 15 across the league, but he wouldn't be far away from that because I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to be someone on this Browns team who greatly benefits because of the amount of weapons that Cleveland has and because Peoples-Jones proved last season he could catch the football and do a lot of things with it. That touchdown catch and run in Tennessee, the key touchdown in the win in Cincinnati. Look, Joe Burrow should be at the top of that list. He's as obvious of a choice as there is, but I think it is a very nice job there by the national pundits for having Jedrick Wills as high as number seven because Jedrick Wills, working with those four other guys, is only going to rise, and it's why the Cleveland Browns selected him in the NFL draft. Yeah, I would agree. And and the other thing I'll say about the – you mentioned Donovan Peoples-Jones. That's a big target in the red zone for Baker Mayfield as well. That will be a a big advantage for him. John Fantanaga, step aside, take a quick timeout. On the other side of the break, Nate Burleson has some thoughts about Odell Beckham Jr.'s return. You're going to want to hear the former Brown and NFL wide receiver and what he thinks. Sports for CLE will be right back. Stay with us.
We continue talking Browns football on uh, NFL Network's Good Morning Football. Nate Burleson, former Brown and NFL player, uh, had this to say about Odell Beckham and how he expects him to come back this year. I don't like to share too many text messages on uh, on the show just because, you know, I, I keep conversations Go private. On. But I just remember a couple of months ago, um, I reached out to OBJ. I was just sitting back watching some football, and I was like, I wonder how he's doing. So we were tapping in with each other, and I said, yo, how you feeling? How's the body? And he said, on the way. And I said, is the body back? He said, all signs pointing up, all capital letters. And he finished with God is good. Sent me a little clip of him working out that he didn't share on social media. Oh. And I was like, oh, man. And I told him straight up, your body looks stronger. Yeah. You look faster. You look more explosive. I haven't even seen him like this up to this point. And they say after an ACL injury, which I've had, you come back stronger. So to answer your question in a very long-winded way, yes, I believe he is going to add an element to this squad. And it's not just about his route running. We know when he's at the top of his game, it's elite, period. But it's that X factor, the, the, the special trick plays that they add into the, the game plan. And uh, let's bring John Fanta back in. And, John, when you look at that, um, there's a lot of things that you can do with the skill set of Odell Beckham Jr. when he's healthy. You're talking about a two-time All-Pro, a former NFL Rookie of the Year. You're talking about someone who changes the way a game is played. OBJ is as explosive of a player in the National Football League when he is on the field and locked in. He secured a win for the Browns in Dallas last year, a very important win for that team's mentality going forward, a game that they were heading towards unraveling and losing in deflating fashion, and Odell Beckham Jr. put the game in his hands and made the key plays. Listening to all the things that Nate Burleson just said. Nate Burleson, someone who I have a lot of respect for. I think he, he's one of the stars in NFL coverage today. There is a clear, clear takeaway to all those things, and that is that Odell Beckham Jr. is out to prove himself this upcoming season as he should. You take the amount of negative talk that he's had to listen to the last 10 months. You hear about how you keep Baker Mayfield from being Baker Mayfield's best. You can't be around a winning situation. You're not a winning player. You only care about yourself. You know, it bears noting, we all, or at least we, Dave and I, watched the Browns-Bengals game on Thursday night football there when the Browns had to win that game. Week two, after a deflating loss to the Ravens, the Browns did win that game. And did we not see, were my eyes mistaken, did we not see OBJ, Jarvis Landry, and Baker Mayfield on the bench? They didn't know that the cameras were on them. Look, there's a synergy. There's a chemistry. And Odell Beckham's playing with his best friend, Jarvis Landry. And to me, there has not been a time where at least I've said Odell Beckham is bad for the Cleveland Browns. I think it's a, it's a stale, lazy take. It is as a result of him being a New York Giant and things not working out. And let's let's face it, the Giants had a whole lot of other issues happening at the time. It's a no excuses league. You got to make things happen. But I think Odell Beckham Jr. is tired of hearing why he can't and is ready to be a part of the winning solution. 
He now is around winning. He's around a leader in Kevin Stefanski. He's still around his best friend, Jarvis Landry. And he's around a quarterback who is going through his third offensive scheme in a matter of four years. Let's let's pump the brakes before we take down Odell Beckham Jr. here. And for those who are, it's stale. It's lazy. Nate Burleson talking about what OBJ said to him speaks volumes. Yeah, and I'll wrap it up with this. Guys that have the talent and the skill sets of Odell Beckham Jr. say they want the ball because they're convinced the the ball in his hands gives his team the best opportunity to win. That's why he wants the ball. It's not because he's looking at numbers. He's convinced ball in my hand means we have the best chance to win, period. I mean, that's – so we're going to move on. All right. Malik Jackson is a guy that the Browns brought in uh, to kind of help shore up the, the interior of that line. And Malik's getting after it. Uh, we, we go to his social media and we take a look, um, trying to drill and, and get himself healthy and right. Take a look at Malik Jackson. John, I think if Malik Jackson is healthy, he gives the Browns some of that interior defense that some folks are concerned about. I think he could be better than what they had a year ago, which wasn't terrible inside. No, it wasn't terrible inside. You know, let's start with that here. Uh, you, you can't totally blame the Browns' interior or their defensive line, and you would also hope that with the Browns being better – in their linebacker core being better in pass coverage, it will create a confidence around this unit. But for Malik Jackson, you're talking about a Super Bowl champion. You're talking about a former pro bowler. The Browns have brought in winning players. And Malik Jackson is no joke. I mean, this is someone who has shown a good sample size of being a solid tackler, of being someone who can get to the passer. He's someone who is racked up 35 sacks in his career and nearly 270 tackles. And what I look at with this defensive line is how much do these guys elevate each other's numbers as a result of playing with one another? That's the hope with Jadavion Clowney. Why can't it be the hope with Malik Jackson too? Malik Jackson doesn't carry the name or the notoriety maybe that Clowney carries because Clowney's kind of had a larger than life type figure since his South Carolina days. Uh, so for me, Malik Jackson is someone who just as much as Clowney's going to add something, he's just as important of a pickup because, you know, Dave, we could have seen the interior of the defensive line uh, not be in place heading into this year and the Browns just counting on some youth to serve role there. And, oh, it'll be okay because they got Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney. That wasn't good enough for Andrew Barry. He's made the key signings, and Malik Jackson is another. And I can't – that social media video, that's exactly what I want to see in the month of July from a player. I expect big things. I would agree. And, and so that kind of goes into our next point, which Bleacher Report identifies the biggest hole on every roster heading into training camp. And for the Browns, they say defensive tackle. Now there's Malik Jackson, who granted was banged up, wasn't 100%. Andrew Billings, who opted out, he's pretty good. Elliott, who's a young guy. So I get that there's question marks. I don't necessarily know that it. I would call it a hole. 
because it's not like you're relying on one or two guys. You've got four or five, and you're going to sort it out. I think that they see Sheldon Richardson. I think that they see some other departures, and they say, well, we got to pick somewhere that's a hole. <laughs> uh, this is LeBron. See, I've been on this show and have said the Browns don't have a hole. Um, and I don't think that defensive line, defensive tackle, the interior of their line is a hole. Jackson, Malik Jackson is a, a good player. Yes, he was banged up, but he's a good player. And the expectation is, and this word's come out of Berea, that Andrew Billings, had he been a part of the equation last year, we might have thought in this defensive line is even better uh, than it was. So there's a, every expectation. Like, I haven't heard one sign that Billings is not going to make an impact or that Billings is going the wrong direction. The Browns even said during last season, man, you know, we are excited to have Billings in the fold. The interior of the defensive line should not be an area that you consider a hole. If you want to bring up a hole, you could say special teams because there is an unknown. Uh, there have been concerns with the kicker situation, and there have been concerns with special teams in general, whether it be coverage, whatever it might be. So if you want to create a hole, that would be it because it has been a question mark area for the Cleveland Browns. I have no questions that the defensive line is going to be fine, particularly at defensive tackle. I think those guys are going to be A-OK. You would have been able to convince me more by saying that you still had question marks about linebackers being a whole only because you're expecting Jeremiah Owusu Koromora to be a guy that's in coverage for you and doing a good job. Um, but right, right off the bat as a rookie. But do I think defensive tackles a whole? I disagree with that. So before we take a, a break, Browns Nation poses the question: Should the Browns be interested in Geno Atkins? Um, again, it's defensive tackle coming off an injury, only played eight games a year ago. Really good player. I guess my question would be, what's the price? Yeah, what is the price? If it comes at a, at a friendly type of financial situation, then then maybe the Browns look into bringing in Geno Atkins. There's always, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm knocking on wood here in this room. I'm telling you, I'm knocking on it. Look, this is the NFL. Things happen. Uh, stuff happens. You could think of the word Browns fans of what has happened during training camp before. So it's good to have Geno Atkins in mind. That being said, uh, Geno Atkins, has he seen the best days of his playing career? And what's he going to give you? What's he going to give you for the price that you are paying is the question that you want to ask. Um, I think it's the same question that the Los Angeles Rams are dealing with right now because they're looking at veteran running backs trying to figure out who could give them that replacement option, at least for now, a temporary one, to Cam Akers. Do the Browns need a Geno Atkins? The answer to that question is no. If it makes sense for them and they're dealing with some banged-up guys in training camp, every team has to evaluate these types of options. But should they do it now? I'm going to answer no because I have faith that the interior of the defensive line is in a solid spot. John Fanta and I are going to step aside, take one more time out on the other side of the break. Five surprising roster decisions the Browns could make. This is according to Dog Pound Daily. We're step aside. Take one more time out. Sports with CLE will be right back. Stay with us.
We continue talking Browns football with John Fanta here on Sports for CLE. Well, uh, we've showed you some Nick Chubb video. Nick Chubb continues to get after it. Uh, take a look at him in the weight room again. Yeah, John, he's throwing around a small sports car in the weight room these days. It's easy to see, easy to see why he runs by and through people. I think I just heard all of Cleveland say collectively, that's my running back. <laughs> like, that, 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 those are the four words that come to mind as I'm watching that because, my goodness gracious, this man is truly that, a man. And his leadership while done in a soft-spoken nature, really resonates. He is so respected. I mean, have you ever heard, we talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo this week winning an NBA championship. Have you ever heard anything say a bad thing about Nick Chubb? No. No. He puts his head down. He works his tail off. He does his job to a T. And from the moment that he's gotten to Cleveland, he has embraced the city, the fan base, and being a Cleveland Brown. So I see him working, and it comes as no surprise because Nick Chubb, when he was drafted, on his draft night, the take was, "Ah, not sure about that knee. Dealt with knee issues at Georgia. It's almost like that those knee issues and the doubts that came with him were the best thing that happened to him. How often do we see that on NFL draft night when a player drops as a result of some potential injuries and the risks that could come down the road? The fact is the shelf life on NFL running backs isn't what it was. But Nick Chubb's a throwback back. And in a league that's so pass-oriented and every defense is trying to adjust to be pass-oriented, Nick Chubb forces your hand for an opposing defense to say, we better be physical or else this guy's going to run over us as he is capable of lifting a sports car, like you just said. All right, so five surprising roster decisions the Browns could make. Uh, I'm going to break it into three and two. Um, They've got trade Chris Hubbard, keep 10 offensive linemen, and then keep only five wide receivers. Let's deal with that. Any way you can see just five wide receivers on this uh, roster. No, I don't, I don't see that. Um, I, I don't see just five wide receivers. I mean, you look at Landry, Beckham, Peoples-Jones, Higgins, you know, and, and then a couple of the other guys that you have coming into the organization or holdovers from last year, and there's more than just five. I think that you're looking at if the Browns are going with their wide receiver core, it's, it's got to be more than five. Five is not going to cap it. I, I think it, it at least is going to be a six-man unit. Uh, keeping 10 offensive linemen, as you just said, well, I don't know if the Browns need to necessarily do that, and I'm curious to see what exactly they, they end up doing uh, with their offensive line, but uh, I, I'm not sure if I see that either. And then the other one that you brought up is Chris Hubbard. Well, you have to see what kind of value Chris Hubbard is going to to take. If, if you were to trade him, what value is he going to come at? 
that value could change in the weeks leading up to the season. Chris Hubbard can be a reliable starting offensive lineman for a team. So the Browns could look into that. I I think that we will see Andrew Barry and this front office attempt to stay aggressive as this preseason continues. And Chris Hubbard might be a guy that's on the move. But of the surprising roster decisions that the Browns could make, do I actually think that any of those three uh, are going to occur? I, I really don't, which is why I would be surprised. The one that seems unrealistic is the wide receivers one, Dave, right? Because you look at the sheer options this team has. To only carry five would be very odd. Yeah, I, you know, there's like seven that you go because I'd – the, the ones you mentioned, you had JoJo Natson, you had Anthony Schwartz, you had Cordero Hodge. Yeah, and so those are those are all kind of interesting. All right, the, the last two, keep 10 defensive linemen or keep only four linebackers. And if they're going to play a base of two linebackers, maybe, but I that's – you know, the, 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 the challenge there is you're going to have some linebackers that are going to probably be your special teams guys, and that's why I think you probably keep at least five of them. You probably do. You, you keep more than four linebackers. The defensive lineman is an interesting one because of the strength at the top of that core. So maybe, maybe I, I like. I don't know if if the Browns have the have the need for all of that depth on their defensive line. I think that that the Browns are set in a good position with their defensive line. I don't see a team only keeping four linebackers. Even if, even if you are in that predicament where you say, we're only going to keep four, we're going to try to gamble elsewhere. Look, um, there could be a time when you really regret that decision in a game. And even if you're playing the the two linebacker system that you're talking about, uh, where you prioritize the secondary more, there's still some problems that you run into. So I think that all these scenarios are interesting, but I think it's unlikely that the Browns only keep four linebackers. I think they're going to have five linebackers. I think they're going to have more than five wide receivers. Um, the, the defensive lineman take, I, I don't really see it at all uh, because I think that the Browns are stacked at the, at the top there, and uh, I think that they feel pretty good about where they're at with their defensive line. John Fanta, as always, appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks very much, John. Dave, I'm going to go watch that Nick Chubb video again. (laughs) All right, right, John Fanta, have a good one. As always, appreciate the time and the insight. We're going to step aside, take a quick time out. On the other side of the break, we shift our focus to who the Browns are battling in the AFC North. Spencer Schultz from the Baltimore Beatdown podcast joins us to talk some Ravens-Browns rivalry sports for CLE. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
Sports for CLE continues. We turn our attention to the Baltimore Ravens, one of those teams that the Browns are going to be battling in the AFC North, and we welcome in Spencer Schultz from the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. Spencer, uh, appreciate the time very much. Um, is there any update on um, Lamar Jackson and, and that extension that everybody knows is going to happen uh, with the Ravens and Lamar? But um, has there been any talk as you, as you get closer to training camp? There haven't been any current updates on the situation. It's continued, and it feels like maybe we're getting a little bit of a three-man standoff again further with Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson. It just feels like, especially with Mayfield and Allen, who are both represented by traditional NFLPA agents, that neither one of them is going to want to budge, and they're probably waiting to see if the Ravens can get Lamar Jackson signed uh, and see what his contract situation is without an agent. And, you know, you anticipate his contract, he's going to be saving uh, 3%, which is probably about actually 2%, as he will probably have a lawyer look over his contract, and that comes at a small fee. But uh, Jackson is going to get a small bit of savings there, a little chunk of savings for not using an agent. So it feels like maybe Allen and Mayfield are waiting on Jackson and seeing if Jackson is ready, and the Ravens have – cleanly expressed their desire to sign him and bring him in and make sure that he's going to be the quarterback for, I would think at least the next four years following this season. So ultimately the Ravens are in a good spot, but it's uh, been rumored that they want to get something done before training camp. And I would think that uh, there's a, a strong possibility that by the end of training camp, there is a deal struck as Lamar is back in Baltimore and he just arrived today. So you think that maybe they put things on ice and waited for him to arrive, and then they can kind of go back to working on timelines and, and the nitty-gritty details and speaking with him and what he wants to do. So it feels like it is imminent, but no real updates other than that Lamar has landed in Baltimore and is back at the facility. So it feels like that increases the likelihood of something happening here in the coming days, weeks, or months. And the, the key there is he's representing himself. So him being back at the facility gives him the ability to do that. And the flip side of that is you pretty much want to get that done before you start playing games because he is his own representation as well. You want him focused on, on football once, uh, once it starts to, to get into the dog days of, of, um, of the season. Absolutely. And he does have mentors and advisors and things of that nature, but he just doesn't have the NFL PA registered representation that will uh, allow him to strike a deal and negotiate. So no one that is on his team is allowed to negotiate on his behalf for an NFL contract. You must be licensed to do so. So uh, that is the, the current situation, but he's able to relay information to his advisors and things like that. So he's definitely not alone, but doesn't have the traditional representation that the NFL recommends and, a lot of athletes in the NFL are looking for him, you know, as a quarterback, especially in a record-breaking deal. It'll definitely be the largest deal in Ravens history and probably one of the three to five biggest in the NFL right now and possibly ever. So it's uh, an ongoing situation where players are looking at him to maybe break the mold a little bit and, and disrupt and see how that turns out and what kind of deal is struck. And if it's, you know, creative or unique the way that maybe Patrick Mahomes was, uh, his deal was. So it's an interesting situation on many, many fronts, and I'm sure that we'll get some updates in probably the next 10 to 12 days. Do you expect this offense to look a little different? You know, every, every year it seems like it's evolved a little bit. Um, do, you, do you expect some, some new wrinkles in it? Um, and also, there were some concerns about the line, and, and um, you took us through it last time you were on 
who has kind of jumped out at that line as well? So wrinkles into the offense and, and then take me into the line as well. Yeah, so the offense might be moving forward by looking to the past. And you look at the 2019 season, they had a Hall of Fame caliber right guard, Marshall Yonda. A lot of people think that he'll be in the hall, you know, within the next five to 10 years, uh, possibly even a first ballot Hall of Famer. And when you lose someone like that, then you go and replace him with a rookie, Tyree Phillips, who was a right tackle at Mississippi State. They move him inside, which was very rare for him to be starting week one. The Ravens typically do not start offensive linemen in week one of their rookie season. I think the only one in the last decade is actually Ronnie Stanley, and he was a top 10 pick. So a little bit different case there. So the Ravens interior offensive line was really not capable of running much downhill blocking concepts in terms of inside zone concepts or duo concepts where you can line up hat on a hat and, and go ask your man to block downhill. And they missed Marshall Yonda a lot. Matt Skura was coming off of a, a three tear knee situation, kind of the, the perfect storm of, of a knee tear. And then at left guard, they had Bradley Bozeman who now will be playing center, but Bozeman is a, a very mobile, nimble, you know, technically sound guard, but he's not an imposing force as a guard in terms of power or down blocking or things like that. So uh, it, it was really an inability to pound the rock downhill last year towards the end of the season. When the Ravens went on a run to make the postseason, they ultimately had to uh, start using concepts. They kind of avoided the offensive line. They used a ton of power and pulling and uh, trying to create mismatches by pulling and using Pat Ricard. And they were without Nick Boyle, which was a big loss for them as well. So they ended up, using, you know, empty concepts where J.K. Dobbins would be in motion from the slot and he would run across Lamar Jackson and uh, he would it would be a, a veer or something of the sort where they could just kind of avoid the interior offensive line in the run game. And now they bring in Kevin Zeitler. They draft Ben Cleveland, who's a six foot six, 357 pound guard who runs under a 5.040 and is, you know, a, a prolific weight room and, and incredibly strong force. And then they kick Bradley Bozeman. Maybe the biggest change of the offensive line is kicking Bradley Bozeman from left guard to center, where in the past they had Matt Skura and Patrick McCarry and some other guys that were smaller sort of finesse players. Now Bozeman is six foot five, 320 pounds. You know, he wasn't huge for a guard, but now he's a more imposing center than they've had in the past. So you think that you're going to see a lot more of those inside zone concepts and those downhill running concepts. At the same time, of course, you know, Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman, Tylen Wallace brought in to help over the middle of the field take some pressure off of Mark Andrews to be able to make some plays on the outside. They have not had a capable uh, receiver in terms of separation or, or strength getting off of press, uh, playing through contact or getting yards after the catch. And you look at Bateman, you look at Watkins to come in and be able to do that immediately. So they want to use those guys to spread the field out and attack a little bit deeper on the perimeter, take some pressure off of Mark Andrews. And suddenly you have Marquise Brown with a lot of pressure off of him. You're able to use him in, a role where he can go in motion a lot and be a decoy a lot and work over the middle of the field. And it feels like he does succeed from the slot a little bit better where he can work over the middle of the field and, and find some soft spots and run after the catch and do some things like that. So definitely big changes for the Ravens offense and uh, hoping it's, it's similar to 2019 in terms of their offensive line play and better than we've seen in the Lamar Jackson tenure in terms of what their outside receivers can do. Uh, tell me a little bit about J.K. Dobbins. A lot expected of him, and, and you mentioned um, Bozeman has been pretty good. Everybody expects him to really take off at that center spot. Take me through those two uh, facets of this offense. 
Yeah, so the Ravens struggled with snap consistency a lot last year with Bozeman. None of the centers that they've had have been college centers. Uh, got Bozeman played at Alabama there, won national championships, and was a you know a rock solid figure there. And he's got the muscle memory. He seems very confident in that ability to just simply snap the ball. And like I said, will provide more power. J.K. Dobbins is you know to the Ravens an ascending superstar as a running back. Last year he you know was near the tops of the NFL in yards per carry. He has outstanding contact balance. And where the Ravens are really looking for him to take off is in the passing game where at Ohio State, he actually spent 11% of his snaps uh, out wide or in the slot, you know, split out in a receiver alignment. So uh, in college, you would see J.K. Dobbins running some smash concepts and running actual route, two-man route and three-man route combinations with wide receivers and looking the part. And in training camp last year, and again, in OTAs this year, he's been able to go up and sky above some linebackers and make plays above the rim and uh, do some things in, in the past game. Last year, he had a couple of struggles. Uh, checking down might be one of Lamar Jackson's biggest weaknesses. He tends to avoid taking those, you know, uh, low-hanging fruits from the tree at times and instead will opt to, you know, extend a play a little bit, which can turn out being a home run or turn out being, you know, an incompletion or a sack or something of the sort. So I think a big progression is going to be dumping the ball off to J.K. Dobbins and letting him go get yards after the catch. And that's a, a missing element from the Ravens offense last year and the year before is, is yak. So for J.K. Dobbins to get, you know, 20 to 30 receptions this year would be uh, enlightening, I think, for this offense and allow them to work the defense, make the defense account for checkdowns a little bit more, open things up. All of a sudden, you know, the the lanes for Lamar Jackson to run through are better. Uh, suddenly there's there's less clog over the middle of the field for them to throw to, and that allows the Ravens to have more room to operate, the receivers to have more room to operate, more soft spots in zone, which the Ravens face more than any team in the NFL because of Jackson's running ability. You can't really turn your back to him in man coverage. So uh, J.K. Dobbins taking a leap forward in that sense is huge, and as well as just being able to handle a larger workload alongside Gus Edwards with Mark Ingram out of the equation now, and they're counting on Dobbins to be, you know, a really dynamic 10 plus touchdown 200 plus touchback so it's going to be a little bit of a step forward for him and it feels like he has shown nothing other than the ability to be an impact player and a guy that you can rely on to take over games when you need him to spencer schultz uh, from the baltimore beatdown podcast now i'm gonna step aside take a quick time out on the other side of the break we'll flip sides of the ball we'll hear some about that ravens defense we'll also talk Ravens-Browns rivalry, it is growing. Sports for CLE will be right back. Stay with it. Better days are ahead. Be ready with the training you'll need to get a great job. If you or your family has experienced financial hardship as a result of COVID-19, try seeking help with full tuition assistance. Whether you want to improve your skills, get certified, or train for a new career, Go to tri-c.edu to check out our programs and resources. So what are you waiting for? Register now for online and on-campus summer classes. Tri-C is where futures begin. When it comes to selling you a mattress, most retailers are handing you a line, a long line of extra steps that drive up costs and create confusion. At the Original Mattress Factory, we simplify the mattress shopping experience by building mattresses and box springs in our own local factories and selling them direct to you. It's short, sweet, and simply makes sense. So experience more than just a mattress store. Experience an original, the Original Mattress Factory. 
First, they said cigarettes were safe. We know how that turned out. Now, they say they didn't market e-cigarettes to teens? Fact, more than one in four high school students are vaping, and 80% say their first e-cigarette was flavored. Vaping is harmful to developing brains. The reason we think vaping is safe? Marketing. Same lies, different day. Tell Big Vape to quit lying. We continue talking about the Browns and the Ravens with Spencer Schultz from the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. Spencer, you know, the, the Ravens lost a lot of big-name guys on that defensive side of the ball. Who are some names um, that are really stepping up and, and uh, going to be big contributors for the Ravens on the defensive side of the ball this year? Well, the first name you're looking at to step up in a position that feels a little more uncertain than it has in years past is Tyus Bowser. Bowser was recently extended for four years, around $22 million, which was a shockingly low figure when you're looking at uh, what the going rate of young, capable outside linebackers in the NFL is. Bowser is a perfect fit as a Sam linebacker, which Matt Judon was previously occupying, the linebacker that can cover, that can rush the passer, beat up on tight ends a little bit, and set the edge in the run game. Setting the edge in the run game is something that prevented him from taking a lot of snaps over his first two seasons, but he has profoundly improved in terms of his hand placement and his ability to control the line of scrimmage and get off of blocks and make tackles. Uh, then he also is arguably, you know, in my opinion, he might be the best on ball or on the line of scrimmage coverage linebacker in the NFL. He was targeted 10 times last year. He allowed five receptions for 49 yards and all five of the incompletions were by his action. It was three interceptions and two passes defended. He had some outstanding reps. There's reps of him against Kareem Hunt, one-on-one on, -one, on a, a little bit of a blaze out route, him able to break across Kareem Hunt's face and uh, snack the ball away and make a pass defend. And then there's also examples of him spot dropping in zone coverage where he's able to go intercept Ryan Tannehill over the middle of the field by bluffing a blitz. And he does the same thing to Baker Mayfield in that Monday or in that uh, primetime shootout against the Browns late in the season. So Bowser is an ascending player still. He's a player that doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body. He doesn't have a ton of sack production necessarily, but because the Ravens blitz in such a diverse and complex way at times and they overload pressure, there's not a lot of reps of him truly pinning his ears back and getting after it off the snap and rushing directly upfield in a penetrating manner like a TJ Watt or like another outside linebacker that doesn't have as much coverage responsibility. It's called low gear when a player comes off the ball and they kind of remain balanced off the snap and they analyze, you know, is this a run? Is this a pass? They might have some edge responsibility in terms of contain or some coverage responsibility. But when he did pin his ears back, he was able to get pressure. He was second on the Ravens in pressures last year. Um, so he, he has a well-rounded versatile game. Is he going to be this all pro player? You know, it feels like probably not, but he could be, you know, a pro bowl kind of guy that ends up with more pass rushes. He was only 70th among edge defenders and pass rushes last year with a little over 200. And like I said, a lot of those weren't true pass rush snaps, but if you tweak that up to, you know, 400, 450 pass rushes, he could easily be an eight, nine sack guy who can match up on running backs and match up on tight ends and do some different things for you. So the Ravens are depending on Tyus Bowser to 
be worthwhile and be able to replicate some of what Matt Judon did and uh, able to really lock down that that Sam uh, linebacker position. And, you know, the group otherwise is, is consisting of Odafe Away, who's an unproven rookie that's only been playing football for six years. Pernell McPhee, who's an aging veteran. They have Dalen Hayes they drafted out of Notre Dame basically to be Tyus Bowser's backup. It feels like at that Sam position. Then they have Jalen Ferguson, who uh, if, if he falters, I would anticipate the Ravens to make a move if they're not confident in him, maybe for a Justin Houston or as the Ravens have done the last couple of years at the trade deadline and going after uh, another, you know, proven kind of pass rusher on a team that's struggling like they did last year with Yannick Ngakwe towards the deadline or something of the sort. So that's kind of the most uncertain starting position on the Ravens right now uh, defensively. And then you look to their safety depth. That definitely is a big area of concern. You've got two guys you're confident in, Chuck Clark, Deshaun Elliott, who are pretty interchangeable. Clark plays a lot more up towards the line of scrimmage, but they certainly change roles. Elliott is kind of the single high guy at times, and Wink Martindale is very cautious, especially early in the year, sticking him 15, 18 yards uh, back all the way on on Mars, basically, to prevent anything deep after the loss of Earl Thomas. So I think they would tinker, tinker there a little bit, but beyond that, they just don't have a ton of depth. So that's an area I'd look for them to make some moves potentially. When you look at uh, the AFC North, a lot of people think, you know, Ravens probably deserve to be the favorite because they've won it a number of times. Brown's right there with them. Do, do you sense Ravens fans kind of, you know, think the same way? That's what the thinking in Cleveland is, you know. Ravens and Browns are, are going to be battling for the North, and, and it's pretty even. How do, how do Ravens fans view the, the division now? Yeah, I think the Ravens fans anticipate it's going to be a dogfight, pun intended, between them and the Browns. Uh, you don't think that it's going to be easy to you know go sweep the Browns again. The Ravens took the Browns by, by force in week one. The Ravens are under John Harbaugh or arguably the best week one team in the NFL. He always has them very prepared in September, and then they start to falter in October a little bit. And then Harbaugh gets the ship right by December, where they're one of the best teams in football in his tenure as well. So uh, not being able to play the Browns early feels like a little bit of a disadvantage with Kevin Stefanski only being in year two. That big blowout last year was definitely a result of a new head coach and a very limited offseason, but you saw the Browns improve leaps and bounds as the season went on. They got really hot towards the end of the year there, and Ultimately, with the reinforcements they've brought in in the secondary and John Johnson and getting Grant Delpit back and Greedy Williams healthy and Denzel Ward potentially healthy. And, uh, you know, of course, Ronnie Harrison, it feels like they're much more capable on the back end. Um, So the Ravens fans are anticipating a better defense. The Browns defense simply wasn't up to par last year. And you're going to see them fighting at the top. I mean, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt mixed with that very strong five man front. Uh, The offensive line for the Browns is going to present some problems and, uh, Baker Mayfield has shown escapability and a ton of ability to make plays after the initial play and extend plays. So uh, they they put up a 41-point fight against the Ravens the last time they played. And uh, I think that the Ravens are looking at the Browns definitely the most seriously that they have and uh, probably the history of the, the two teams being together in the AFC North. As the Browns have experience, they have talent on both sides of the ball, they have good depth, they have plenty of offensive weapons, and all of that good stuff. So if Baker Mayfield can continue to uh, progress within that system, which is a very similar system to what the Vikings run, and if he can be a little bit more of a mobile Kirk Cousins type and a little bit uh, more turnover cautious with the football, then the Browns are a serious threat. And I think it's a, a pretty even fight to who's going to make it out of that division in terms of 
winning it and getting the home game and potentially a buy in the playoffs. And then, you know, the Steelers are, are still in the mix. Of course, they'll, they'll never fully die, especially when Ben Roethlisberger is behind center, even though his arm has definitely depreciated over time, but it feels like definitely a, a two horse race at the top with the Steelers fighting to be a wild card team. So it's going to be an interesting, interesting time in the AFC North and the Bengals feel like they're capable of surprising some people and uh, maybe fighting to be towards a 500 team. So it looks like the AFC North might be among the top two or three strongest divisions and the Browns and the Ravens are definitely the biggest reasons why. Spencer Schultz, it should be a whole lot of fun uh, with the Browns, Steelers and Ravens uh, this season all being very, very good. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. Spencer Schultz from the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. Uh, you are welcome back on Sports for CLE anytime. Again, appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks very much, Spencer. Thank you. Have a great day, and I appreciate you guys having me on. All right, again, Spencer Schultz from the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of Sports for CLE. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow. The D-man, Dennis Maniloff, Kevin Arnold, scheduled guests. We will see you then. Have a great night, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow at 4.